Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. I will talk to you of our For there is nothing else. Some artists make a Yes. Bite upon it. Hello folks, this is Albert Shivers, and I got another episode of Planet Shivers for you. In fact, this is the 30th episode of this podcast, which also happens to fall at just about a year that this podcast has been out there cooking. I can't think of anybody on the planet that I would rather have join me on episode 30 of this podcast than the guest I have today. So before we get to that, on last week's episode, before getting to the interview, I mentioned that I was working on a new documentary film that was going to end up on YouTube. Well, I've been really kicking butt with it, really working hard, and I'm aiming for it to come out next week so hopefully that'll happen I'm on track with it so that's going to be fun it's going to be a documentary about how in God's name I got into NASCAR of all things a visual artist born in New York City who listens to depression era jazz is watching cars go around in circles I don't even have to understand it I'm going to have to watch this movie when it's done if you don't mind here real quick I like to reminisce on 30. You know, there's been so many awesome guests within these 30 episodes. Starting off with Abby Brayman, visual artist, and ending last week with actress Michelle, Michelle, excuse me, Michelle, sorry. Actress Michelle Starr. Why was that, why was it so hard? That's what she said. But all in between were so many just really cool episodes and if I could just rattle some off to you here if I were to recommend episodes to you being new to the show I would tell you to go all the way back to episode 5 where I talk with Bob Wright bluegrass musician and my 10th grade English teacher on Staten Island then I'd say jump up to episode 7 where I sit down with Mr. Michael Lynn the, episode, the name of that episode is Mr. Inertia, and it's a very accurate title. Then, I'd want you to jump all the way up to a little bit of a more serious episode um, with Ella Steinbeck called The Prison of Illness. That's episode 16, where Ella, who is a past stand-up comedian and actress who now suffers from Lyme's Lyme's disease and Eller-Daniels syndrome. Um, We talk about her time as a comedian and an actress and some of the things she's been in, but we also go into her dealing with her chronic illness, pretty much. Ella was in a few of my films and, you know, we always got along well. And it was, you know, great to see her again, great to see her doing decent. It's a very informative episode for anybody who's dealt with Lyme's disease. Then, you know what? Rewind. Episode 12, I interview rapper Miss Knockout. 
That was fun. Her and I worked together a little bit in the past. Also, Doug Gilbert. Doug Gilbert, as they'd say in, in Long Island. Doug Gilbert. That's episode six, Art and Spirit. It's so interesting to hear Doug's life story in parallel running with his artwork. Um, and really how his spirituality, which I... Ugh, that word. I know it's disgusting because too many people say it, but how his spirituality, there I go again, really um, impacted his work, which is cool. And the only guest so far in these 30 episodes who's been on more than once. So far of these 30 episodes, visual artist Don Wilson has been on three times and that's saying something mainly that Don Wilson has lived a lot of life and even more secondly he has a lot to say and just is full of wisdom and amazing stories and it really was fantastic and fun to have him on there might still be some Don Wilson left on the shelf while you guys were stocking up on toilet paper and paper towels and buying up all the hand sanitizer, I was I was keeping my shelves full of Don Wilson and there's more of coming on this show. Reel it in, reel it in, Albert, reel it in. On the topic of Wilsons, there's another Wilson to be called out here, and that's Isaac Wilson. He's been my silent partner throughout this podcast and has helped me with sound on over half the episodes, starting with episode one with Abby Brayman, which is another one you should go and check out. All these guests and all the helpers that have jumped in with this podcast were amazing. And based on your sensibilities and what you're into, there's got to be an episode for you. There's got to be. If you're into the Grateful Dead, check out Jammin' with Dave episode 21 if you're into new art galleries and the whiz check out episode 22 create and be with courtney sylvia and namu hey if you're into painting and then maybe a little snm on the side check out episode 23 paints and spanks with marty carr and jillian if you want to hear stories about the 60s greenwich village check out episode 8 roy in the village with musician roy hannon if you want to go off into outer space, check out episode four with Cold Space with Stefan Coleman. If you want to get in-depth with ink drawings, check out Art Lives, episode 24 with Don Stetner. Another Don. Two Dons on this show. All I need now is Don King, and if I don't get a haircut soon, I'm going to start to look like him. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get down to business. Anyone who has had a late-night, coffee-induced conversation with my next guest knows all the wild directions it can go in. My guest and I recorded for over three hours with plenty left on the table. I'll be splitting this conversation into three episodes. In this hour, we talk about my guest's new toy production, The Blister Sisters, a film he and I worked very closely on, horror movies, 
and his time living in the Bronx pre-Giuliani, along with lots of other stuff in between. Folks, I could sit here at my desk and gush for hours. But I'm just going to say, I hope you enjoy this conversation with my favorite artist and buddy, Mike Strunk. He's Pluto. Part legend, part devil. That's just to satisfy your curiosity. All man. Well, I finally got you, Mike. Yep. So let's just start Alrighty. with that you with Wrong Kong. Wrong Kong. I've been Kong. shouting you out the past three weeks. Thank you. With your toys, and um, I guess you could probably give as best explanation as anybody to what they are and what they're about. Appreciate it. Okay, so uh, when I was a little kid, I I I I, I had a fetish. Of playing with weird little rubber animals, and um, the smell, the feel on it, feeling of them. I had buckets full of them. My father would get very irritated because I would <laughs> spend all eleven dollars that he would give me on little rubber things that you'd get in bubbles for for a quarter in the machines at the grocery stores. And always, when you took a real close look at them, they were either from Hong Kong or Taiwan, but specifically I remember Hong Kong. So I remember the word Hong and Kong right underneath it, right Mm -hmm. on top of each other, just branded in the backs of these creatures. So I thought Hong Kong was cute. (laughs) Since I work with Chinese people, I like to pick on them. Any opportunity I get anyway. And uh, so all these years later, here I am making them, you know. So and I and I love creepy stuff and I love horror movies and it turns out there's a lot of other people that love horror movies and the the they're in the 60s and 70s um there was a company called Rustberry which people might know from the trolls you know the famous troll toys that you see today, but they, they were different in the 60s. They were ugly little shits with big, crazy hair. Yeah. <laughs> but they were the original trolls. But anyway, that same company put out these other weird rubber toys, and they were they were aimed more for a, a teenage audience rather than little kids going to the grocery stores picking up rubber lizards. These things were called jigglers, and they had this neat kind of, uh, there's almost clear colorations. Looks like you're looking through a marble or something. They had nice glass eyes, you know, and they they had a real greasy feeling when you'd touch them. Leave grease on your fingers. But anyway, so you you can find these things. Watching old movies from the '60s, you know, I have a a, a, a film I saw of. Uh, the song Strange Brew by the band Cream in black and white when all 
Eric Clapton's hair was on top of his head. <laughs> and his guitar player had one of these stupid things hanging from the end of his guitar. I mean, these, these things have been around for a while. And now they're highly collectible, partly because they're not indestructible. They weren't. And a lot of people played with them and threw them in the washing machine or whatever. And they're, they, they're kind of rare in one piece. You know, it's like anything else. Now everybody wants to go retro. They've created action figures and and plushes and wind-ups and everything else. So, hey, I said, let's try to recreate the Jigglers. How do I, how do I create a Jiggler? Okay, so I, so I get uh, a kind of molding clay called Monster Clay. Not that these rich pricks need any advertisement, but just for the sake of uh j just to let the folks out there know if they want to do something really interesting with their their afternoon and they're out in the lehigh valley area in the town of mccungee which is right next to emmaus which is right on the edge of allentown on lower mccungee road is a giant factory called reynolds and smooth on that's two different companies reynolds is one smooth on is the other they join forces and now they're one and people would never know it but half of the materials that the dinosaurs for instance from jurassic park were made at this company people have no idea this thing's in their backyard when you go in there you'll see gullums and krakens and dragons and shit their showroom is absolutely amazing what you need to do is just get in your car put 5600 lower mccungee road in your gps and just go to this place you'll see a life-size dragon outside the front door you go in and anything you could ever imagine every kind of monster, every kind of making tool and, and material. It's just an amazing place. And that's where I get all the materials. The molds are two-sided molds. They're made out of silicone. The kind that they make there at Reynolds. And it's practically indestructible. I've tried hot branding irons onto it just to, to, to make an indentation in it and it just doesn't burn the stuff is just amazing mm. so you can make thousands of molds with one of these silicone two-sided molds that i use for my monsters and then to cheapen the process a little bit and because it's easier to color i use urethane for the monsters themselves rather than silicone i could use silicone but it would be a hell of a lot more expensive and harder to color so that's a jiggler what is it? I don't know. It's just some cute, creepy thing that you can hang from your rearview mirror and, and get weird looks from people. Yeah. So I started <laughs> off by making a Momo. And if anybody out there knows what a Momo is, it's you know, a modern-day mythological monster, I guess, that eats children or something terrible like that. And so when yeah. people see it, they cringe. And um, I just recently sold a box of jigglers to a guy online who's been doing who's been collecting these things for years and it was wonderful he did, he had this uh film that he did on the internet with him and his son opening this box of jigglers mm -hmm. and his kid reaches in the box and grabs the momo and just screams and drops the thing 
Oh, really? Like, this thing scares me. It comes out from under my bed and eats me in my dreams. And yeah, so, so yeah, this thing, this thing creeps people out. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, you know, so I, you know, that's that's jigglers. Jigglers are they're fun. And I've had a huge success with uh, one creeper named Beulah the butt plug. No, I'm I'm lying. <laughs> it's not a butt plug at all. It has a strange shape like that. But it's actually the cucumber yeah. creature from Venus. One of those wonderful B-movies that only people like Frank Zappa could appreciate. I guess yeah. it was one of his favorite movies. And um, I don't know. People just love it. I made a rubber one. And I put it out there on on the uh, eBay. And the last one I sold went for $123, which blew my gourd. I, yeah. I'm amazed. But, yeah, so, yeah. People are loving it. And you also have, are they, you have an olive. I have an olive, yeah. And you have My a... olive has a toothpick through them. Yeah. <laughs> and the kid in the video that got some jigglers, he tried to pull the toothpick out and the dad was yelling at him like, nah, that's not coming out <laughs> of there ever. So, yeah. So I made a cute little olive and its face is the pimento and it even has a little butthole at the end that looks like a little <laughs> X in the back of an olive, which is mm. adorable, so... And uh, what else? I made another thing that I call What Is It? I don't know what it is. You have to see it for yourself. Uh, mm. Go on Facebook and look up Rong Kong if you're really curious. And yeah. you'll you'll see what that is. And there's the funny... Is it the funny face fruits? There's the funny face fruit characters. Uh, I made two of them and I got three more of them coming. And they just are little oranges and apples with happy faces. From a horrid sugar-free drink company of the 1970s, but they put cute cartoon commercials out there for the kids to fall in love with. So another collectible that mm. people love. I did a couple from my favorite bad movie of all time called The Devil's Reign, which everybody should see if they like bad horror movies. There's nothing like a movie that starts off with Ernest Borgnine, and William Shatner confronting each other in an old ghost town with cowboy hats and spurs on looking like two cowboys. And then one says to the other, okay, buddy, my faith against yours. And mm -hmm. Instead of drawing their guns, the, the Ernest Borgnine points to a little old church in the ghost town and says, okay step inside and when you get in there it he turns out to be a satanist and william shatner is a good guy and he's trying to keep his soul from being being eaten by these cultly it's mm -hmm. wonderful <laughs> yeah, I just, it, and it, it's it john they they bill it now as being john travolta's first acting yeah, it only He's in it for like two seconds. Yeah, only in nineteen seventy five could this happen. This is a time when people had no pride at all, and it was wonderful. I mean, you could take Betty Davis and put her in a movie with a Bigfoot or some shit. Mm -hmm. So you have this guy who was in every Disney movie in the nineteen sixties. I can't remember his name, and then you have from this Green Acres, the guy from guy. Green Acres. And then you had the woman that was like some har uh, sexy harlot from all the 30s and 40s movies was the mother and then mm -hmm. john travolta was the zombie and ernest borgnine was the satanist and captain kirk was <laughs> the, the poor soul yeah. <laughs> cowboy was losing his soul it's just too great 
And um, if you're really a Satanist, uh, you might be charmed to realize that Anton LaVey, the high priest of the Church of Satan of the time, was a technical advisor of that movie. Hmm. Which, by the way, Albert, the movie The Car that we watched the other day was also yeah. uh, designed by that weird <laughs> man. So, so, yeah, he got his fingers and stuff. That, does, that doesn't happen. I mean, I don't think... I don't think Tom Cruise hangs around with Satanists. No, well, I don't know. What's that cult that he's in? Scientology. Oh, yeah. In. See, they're even worse he, now. Yeah, okay. he jumps up on tables and... Yeah. He's Anton get... was just an old vaudeville weirdo yeah. and a magician. These people are serious. So. Yeah. Right. So I got a jar of souls and a Satanist and a cute little olive and a thing that I don't know what it is and a cucumber from Greek, from Venus and a Momo. Yeah. I think that covers them. Yeah. And I want to make candles. And I would even like to make edibles. And there is certain materials you can get from this factory, this company I told you about, that mm -hmm. uh, you can make candy molds or anything else. Prosthetic right. legs. You can make anything there if you want. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a living. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. You know? So let's see where it goes. Yeah, no, I think we'll get there. And I got to do something. There's a plague here. Yeah. <laughs> but just the rubber, like I got a creature in my hand. Yeah, it, just it, you'll like see. That scent of the these scent, is so the authentic. Yeah, it, it and the it, whole thing. <laughs> yeah, you, what happens? You you sit there and you look at that stupid thing and you think, well, that's just a stupid thing until you touch it and then you smell it and then it just you can't stop fucking with it. It's it's yeah. It's, yeah, that's what happened. And there are grown men that spend hundreds of dollars for these silly things. Yeah. Yeah, so. Many more to come. Working on a slee stack. Only the dorks out there. <laughs> 1970s, 80s would know who that, know what that is. But They are Star Trek, right? Star Trek? No. You know what a slee stack is? I thought I knew what it was. There. The, the, the thing of many a child's nightmares from Land of the Lost. Oh. I thought you might know that because I know you're a dinosaur kind yeah. of guy. And that was the big dinosaur show. I did see the Land of the... Well, okay. Was there a Land of the Lost cartoon too? Okay. There was a Land of the Lost lots of stuff, but I don't remember seeing a cartoon. Okay. There was, was a car... There was like a dinosaur-y cartoon. And there was like... You know, like the white explorer. Then there was like a Tonto kind of guy. You're talking. Oh, are you, are you talking about cartoon, the Hercules yeah. or something? No. No, no. Uh, this might bad dorks. This might be something we have to dive into later. Yeah. But it no, was the, the, the Land of the Lost was the same company. It was all those weird hippies that just did too much acid and and started making kid shows in the seventies, like H.R. Puffin stuff and Libville. Mm -hmm. Bugaloos and crazy psychedelic shit like that. It would probably be more like watching Pee Wee's Playhouse or something. Land of the Lost was the most normal show of that bunch. But they did a lot of things with weird puppets and, yeah, it's good mm -hmm. stuff. But, you know, Slee Stacks was one of their creations. I don't know what, you know, what are they? They're reptilian cave creatures. I guess in uh, in their imagination, instead of having hairy ape men, 
living back then. They had reptile people. There's dorks out there that understand. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I miss stuff, I guess. Not much. No, no. <laughs> yep. So let's jump. Jump. To, um, so in 2011, I was brainstorming with you about a biker movie, about these two crazy biker chicks. I had the script written. And I wanted to film it, but I was new here, and I didn't know where to go to film these things. Uh-huh. And you knew exactly where to go. That is because I did a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll when I was a kid. <laughs> right. And I knew the last place, the last, the last of the real biker bars. Mm-hmm. Not these yuppie fucks that run around in million-dollar <laughs> fancy Harley Davis. I mean, the greasy bastards that made their own bikes out of pieces and... Mm-hmm. They were stinky. They were a great bunch of, interesting bunch of people. And uh, they're a dying breed, and I don't see them much anymore. But there was a neat little bar right next to the lake in Sailorsburg called Maggie's Tavern. And that was the place. If you went in there at the right time of the night, it's a terrible thing to say now. You'd probably get a line of cocaine thrown right down on the table before you... At one time, anyway. As a matter of fact, I've heard recently that the place was all cleaned up and nice, and mm-hmm. you know it's lost its old charm, I suppose. Yeah. But but Jimmy, the old owner and the old crazies that own Maggie's, that was a really neat historical little place there. And so I thought if there was one place that I could drag you out to where you could rip a girl's shirt off and dance on a bar and you know get biker about it. Yeah. <laughs> then that would be the place to go. And, you know, it worked out pretty well, didn't it? It worked out really well. Yeah. Because, like, we went in to show to or to pretend that these girls were real. Yeah. They were just real nuts. And we were just traipsing in there and we were filming. Mm-hmm. And um, as they got drunker, because they really were drinking, they would keep slipping and calling each other their own name, their real names, rather mm-hmm. than their characters' names. But you were kind of there as the old guard who knew the area enough that these guys trusted us. I I feel yeah like. I knew enough I knew enough history enough names enough yeah yeah you know I wasn't best friends with these people but they were a nice, they're a good bunch basically yeah. they're just you don't don't swear at their mother or something right you're, you're yeah and not long after we did film um, maybe a year or two. That the owner Jimmy died. Jimmy died. Yes. So we kind of, in this weird way, have like what could be the last footage of him. Yeah. You yeah, know. Yeah. Because yeah, he, he was he was a dying breed. We sure. dragged him into it for a second. Yeah. Yeah. There were there there were a lot of bikers up here. I mean, I guess there still are, but they're not the same crew. You know, some people would say for better or worse, but. So yeah. what was the other? What was the other club that was... I don't know if it, how close it was to Maggie's or not. There was the there, there was another club that was big with the bikers. Oh, are you talking about the stories of the Amandas? Yeah. Well, that's some amazing stories right there. Um, I don't know if there would be anybody out there even associated with this place... Maybe I won't even give its location something that really couldn't happen in this day and age because 
to put it blatantly, if you didn't want to buy, I don't know, crappy garbage drugs from New Jersey, and you wanted cocaine, and the other alternative was to get it from down south, you know, driven in by bikers that would come across the country that way, just mm -hmm. like in the movie Easy Rider, really the same kind of thing. And they would come up, and they would all land from time to time outside this bar. And uh, I've ne uh, yeah, that's I've never seen anything like it around here. Mm -hmm. More outrageous, and I don't know. Like I said, it couldn't happen nowadays, you know. And I, don't know, I, I remember going in there, and. I had a friend who was playing in an old sort of garage metal band that sounded like Black Sabbath, and he went in there for a, a, a music competition or contest or something, and they had a show being aired only in some other state. I think it was Ohio or something. But it said, live from Pennsylvania, from the Amanda's Inn, you have the showcase of rock and roll, you know. All these guys came in greasy from head to toe from their bikes and they're singing all this crazy shit. There's an old guy with his hair greased back and a suit and tie and a microphone introducing all this strangest thing. Strangest, strangest world. And uh, You know, you go upstairs to take a leak and you go in the wrong door instead of the bathroom door and there's guns all up alongside the wall and it, it just, yeah. It was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was amazing, you know, but yeah. I don't know. I, I never know what happened to that. I've never heard about anybody getting busted there. Mm. I guess it just they, they were smart. They probably knew people at the time, and they uh, said, "Well, can't do this anymore." And, right. <laughs> but I guess that was the '80s, mid '80s. Yeah. No, nah, I wouldn't go in that place with a camera. Yeah, the biker stuff. Bikers, a lot of bikers. There used to be the Pocono Raceway used to have um, some kind of biker, little Sturgis type thing every year. And it, it brought in Hell's Angels and Pagans and Warlords and Outlaws from all over the place. And they would all come in and they would terrorize the neighborhood. And you could just go and find kawasaki's and japanese bikes trashed outside of buildings and you'd find girls at the convenience stores crying because they just half got harassed or something by a bunch of creeps and and um then so much trouble happened that one day they said okay we got to do something about this uh the next time they, they tried to fight having the biker thing and their way of getting controlling it was saying you could come but you couldn't wear your colors you couldn't wear your patches for any gang kind of thing and that was it you know no mm. one ever showed up and that was the end of that generation and now this many years later it's a completely different world and people yeah. have really good jobs and they don't they're not bikers unless they make a big buck and you know and yeah but yeah, interesting piece of history. So I I guess when I think of that bar, 
that was the end of that. Yeah. That was the le- that I know of anyway. That was the last place you're going to... I guess some of these guys are still around, but, you know. Yeah, they probably don't have anywhere decent to congregate that isn't yuppified, I would imagine. No. If they had as much money as you need to have to be involved with Harley Davidson, yeah. you'd probably be a little t- too comfy to mm-hmm. really fight about much of anything. So Maggie's was also attached to all these like motel rooms. Mm-hmm. And when we were filming, so you from you had the best perspective on this, which was the old man with the pitchfork. Yes. Because I was facing the other way from him, mm-hmm. filming the girls. So like from and we this story hasn't been told yet on the podcast. So this is perfect. From your perspective, so like yours, your the story. Yeah. Okay, so this is where everybody just knows that if you're looking for political correctness or politeness, or you're talking to the wrong person. Yeah. So, so we go into this place, and you're taking shots of two girls, the two girls talking outside the bar next to the hotel doors the little motel doors that are outside of the bar because Mm -hmm. you just want a scene of those two uh, talking. I remember we were fighting with the the, the sound of an air conditioner sticking out of the one wall. Well, those, 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 that bar was crazy and those rooms were basically exactly what you'd expect uh, little $50 rooms at a bar to be. They're just Mm -hmm. a bunch of alcoholics and freaks and weirdos. Well, the room we were sitting in front of had that fat guy in it who got McDonald's delivered to him. Yeah. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. And he just had, like, we this woman showed up with the bag of McDonald's, and this one big, like, arm just came out and yeah. grabbed McDonald's. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just went back in. And a, and a wonderful, sweet girl came up and told us about her history of being a stripper, and yeah. then she found her biker lover who took her away from it all, mm-hmm. and now they work on bikes back there around the lake and then you talk to some little kid who was doing bill cosby impersonations you're 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 gonna get nothing but (laughs) but yeah it's it's a colorful bunch over there so what i remember is your eyes are in the camera focusing on the girls Mm -hmm. i'm there but i'm free to wander and i notice a very very super over tanned wrinkly skinny weird guy with a long mustache and a cowboy hat and he comes running out of the door with a pitchfork in his hand above his head and he just runs up to this truck that is just sort of parked outside, I guess, to come and do some business with him, it looked like. And he says, get out of here, you faggot. And he throws the pitchfork at the truck. And then this crazy, other skinny, tall, super gay guy, also yeah, with a really cowboy hat, got out and says, what's the matter with you? What are you, a fucking, you know... What, remember what he said? He said something about... What the hell? I wish I remembered that now. Remember the guy pulled out his prick? Yeah, the old guy did. So the old guy pulled out his and dick and then he around. says, and then, yeah, and he says, uh, you know, I wouldn't suck that if you, if you 
threw honey on it. I, I don't know what it was, but right. there was like this really weird, crazy ass gayish, gay hillbilly war conversation that went on outside this bar coming out of this door and your camera is aimed at the girls and I'm like Albert yeah <laughs> turn the fucking camera quick and like you caught the tail end of it yeah but you know yeah you couldn't make that up that was I don't know what that was I don't know who they were I don't know what they were but they were bizarre I they look they I don't know weird hillbilly sailorsburg hustlers or something <laughs> But yeah, that was that was that was a wonderful, interesting day. One interesting thing after the other. So yeah, glad we caught a little little of it on tape. So yeah, you did get a a shot of that guy, didn't you? Oh yeah, no, not I, doing what he was. Well, it was sort I, of after the fact, but I got from the point of he had already thrown the pitchfork. Yeah, I seen him throw the pitchfork. But the camera didn't... I didn't turn the camera yet. And you could hear it funk off the top of the yeah, truck. I literally got a... We know he did it. But it's hard to tell on camera. Yeah. But I did get him whipping it out. Yeah. For a little yeah. bit. And a little bit of arguing back and forth. The younger, you just hear two guys, you faggot, you faggot, yeah, you faggot. Yeah. <laughs> the younger guy, like, he, he goes ripping out. And the old dude is just standing there like grumbling and cursing and mumbling to himself. Yeah. Two and angry then, gay guys just... And what enamored <laughs> me, here. though, he's, he was completely oblivious to all of us. He didn't give a fuck. He did? No. Like, no. He just he just said, yeah, motherfucker, and he slammed his door, went back in. Yeah. And never, yeah, he didn't think a thing of it. It was a dirty, sleazy, yeah. slimy place to be, yeah. and it was perfect. And to all the people that are listening to this, of all the three people... Two people, mm -hmm. one people, they're listening to this. As long as you're listening to this, why don't you go over to the YouTube yeah. and put in, is it Planet Shivers? Put on Blister Sisters. Blister Sisters. Yeah. With the, what else? I can put the, a link to it. Yeah, put a link on it. Yeah. <laughs> and watch it, and you'll get to see some of that shit for yourself. I don't think they used all that footage, but it, yeah, that was fun. That was, that was, that's what I call reality television, I guess. There I'm really glad you caught it because, like yeah. I said, it, it died after that, like a couple years later. Yeah. I always wanted to get Jim a copy of that film, which I told him I would, and then mm. I just never got around to it. So, hmm. Hmm. Well, I thought, oh wow, I thought did, we did something. Did we? Maybe we did. I think we may have. Oh, did we go in and drop I think, off? A yeah, copy? I think we went back there. The two of us went back oh, to good. Went back to there, and I can't remember anything. That's good. This is pretty much where you grew up, right? Yes. Or, or no? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I'm a true local. Yeah. Every every other person is from New Jersey. But yeah. I'm <laughs> an actual local. And my family were from around here and up into the Poconos and Clark Summit and all hillbillies. You know, so. My grandmother used to take me out to Clark Summit to the diner to get peanut butter and bacon sandwiches. And Were they good? Uh, not particularly. Yeah, you know. No, they weren't too bad, actually, strangely enough. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's a staple out there. Get so far in the woods and people start doing and eating weird shit like that. So then at one point, you hop on a bus mm -hmm. and 
you experience what's probably the last hurrah of the old New York City. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go from hillbilly to, to New York. Yep. Yeah. You went from really one total extreme to the other. That's because and... I'm an, I was an angry, bitter youth. And like most angry, bitter youth, I blamed it all on the area around. I certainly didn't see the forest for the trees. I was not anywhere close to in love with Sailorsburg or Cresco like I am nowadays. Mm -hmm. But um, I just wanted out. I didn't like the area. And, you know, I still didn't. I, the people there were creepy bunch up there in the West End, man. You know, brothers, sisters, mothers, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, that's, that's getting into some more uh, gory stories. But in short, I wanted out. And I befriended a fellow named Jim Winges and his mother who lived in a little room behind the Twin Willows Bar in Scioto. And they were from New York and they were moving back to New York. They said, why don't you move in with us? And so I went from 15, I think I was, dropped out of school a year before the legal time to do so. I did mm -hmm. this, I liked it so much. And I moved off to Pelham Bay in the Bronx in New York. And I ended up in an all, a nice because it was an all Italian neighborhood. And it was, you know, a little more of a tight ship than I think a lot of the areas around there. It was all Italian and they took care of them their own and they kept everything. Like when I first got there, Jim had told, he said all kinds of things to me about, you know, where I should put my money and that I should be packed and have a knife or something or some kind of protection. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was back in the day when, when the place was pretty crazy. And I got on a bus and got on the six train and went all the way up through all the heart, crazy areas of, of the Bronx and shit to get mm -hmm. to that area, which was considered kind of a nice area. And then I come to the street that I'm going to live in. And I guess I said hello to a few people and I said, Hey, I'm here. And Jim and I took off across the city. And then somewhere along the way, I realized I had lost my wallet because I was stupid. And I went back and damn it. If there wasn't just this big old Italian guy who was sitting out there and watched me, uh, drop, uh, leave my wallet, sit there on a step somewhere. Mm. He says, where the fuck do you think you are? Idaho or some shit? Take this. Put this in your fucking pocket. But, you know, and it, it, it gave me the whole spiel and I just was really amazed. Anywhere in between there and where, I, uh, you know, where I came in, there's no way I would have gotten out of that right. situation. But that was charming. And so I ended up getting 800 bucks back or whatever the hell of it I had in. And um, oh, it, was, it was a great time. Even though it was kind of tough, I didn't know anybody. I didn't really have any money. And I got a job at the Pioneer Supermarket down the road in a basement. Incredibly hot. Uh taking boxes in and putting them in a baler machine and making yeah and uh oh it was crazy it was super hot and i don't like the heat and you know i lived it that way i came out in the street ripped our shirts off and we pr 
pried open, pried open a fire hydrant and sat there in the road with cold water blasting on our backs. And, you know, I, I lived it that way for about a year and a half, two years. I think it was two years. Mm-hmm. And then I just, you know, I was young and I didn't have money and so I ended up coming back. But at the time... I went out there, I don't know what I was looking for. I was looking to get into music and I was looking to art and I was looking into just seeing the underworld and 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 I ended up being charmed finding something else that I never would have expected. Isn't that how life is, you know? And I've had a strange relation with the New York Italian types. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Them and the Chinese for some reason ever since. I guess I've already, I, don't, I just, you know, never felt strange there at all. I mean, I've had some ups and downs, but, you know, didn't feel like everywhere you were going you had to, I don't know, challenge some hillbilly over case of beer or something and mm-hmm. it was it was it was a different world very different from what i knew and it was very good it 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 just it just took me out of a a, a bad place that i was in here mm-hmm. you know? and then when i came back it, it helped me deal with things here as well you know helped me find myself yeah so the one thing about new york then that you've told me mm-hmm. that i think it would be unfathomable especially for like younger people who live there in new york who come from oshkosh mm-hmm. and only know it as the way it is now um no, completely different world right but the one thing that would be fun to hear about is the parts of manhattan or the parts of the bronx the parts of the city that at the time when you were there were com- just completely abandoned that was morrison ave and okay, so I was an angry, pissed off kid who just wanted to see how the other half, half lived. And I don't know, somehow seeing the worst of it, hanging around on the, out in the streets, watching junkies shoot up and, and watching homeless people. Um, I, there was one guy down the road who didn't have legs and he would fold staples and make slingshots out of rubber bands around his fingers and hunt pigeons they'd come close enough and <laughs> you know and he'd cook them over fires i mean i just i you know I, I i saw dirty harry or some shit back in the 70s and i said i want to see this i want to be there or something because i'm just pissed off or you know brat i used to go out and i would not wear my leather jacket so i would dress down so i wouldn't be in trouble and then i would go out to find the hairiest areas of New York just to see the wasteland for myself and the, the thing I can tell you that's so different now is um, despite all this this uh, I don't know bullshit about Hillary Clinton and and people like that and AOC taking charge of a place like New York City forget about it the 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 no, it, that that at the time that I lived there, I knew a lot of people who knew who Giuliani was. They weren't friends with Giuliani. They didn't like him. People I knew that worked at the High Times Magazine place that were and and he would do he he and his crook his 
cronies would do all kinds of things and sick the fire chief on you and they would they would schedule Christian um, block parties in the middle of a park where they're going to have a pot march or something. He did all kinds of shit and like all the weirdos and artists and people that we knew, um, they hated him. They He also turned a cesspool of madness and greed and crime into a place that you could pretty much walk across from one side to the other right now without having much issue. I don't know how it is nowadays, but I can tell you that when I went to New York, it was before Giuliani. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I moved there, I had they just started to hear, I don't know what era that was, early 80s or something, but you just started to hear about this guy. You're like, who's Giuliani? And suddenly he did all these things that pissed everybody off and nobody could drink beer in bags anymore and nobody could loiter around as much and he mm -hmm. got rid of park benches, which is a ter sounds terrible enough. And he um, added cops to every block and he and they banned... You couldn't buy a magic marker if you were under 18. I mean, it, it just because of the graffiti. Like, all, all kinds of things. And slowly, it just... I mean, it was that shady. Everybody was out there to, to just fuck each other. And, like, mm -hmm. I remember going down the road and there was a woman that got stabbed I don't know how many times for quarters at a telephone booth. I mean, it just... You know, there was people just laying around half dead and overdosed from crack and, and you know and that's what I wanted to see at the time and I found it and I was amazed by it like when I thought you know like I'm in some fantasy land when I'm 15 years old thinking I'm going to see Dirty Harry I saw worse uh, Jim walked me through the first time and he says I don't know what the fuck you're doing through here and what you want to do through here but he says this is the last time but he took me into a place, and I, Morse Nav, that was the area where they had just shut off the electricity. It was a wasteland, and you couldn't really drive through all of the blocks. There would literally be, like, garbage and pieces of the building that had fallen off and gotten all over the streets and shit. Nobody went there at all, and it was pretty much chaos, and it was, uh, it was a complete wasteland. And I just was fascinated by it, and I would walk around like a nut. And I remember you would never see anything. You'd never see a cop. Occasionally, you would see an ambulance or like an old town car or something. <laughs> like maybe a mobster came by mm -hmm. with a big car, and you could smell death. Everything was abandoned. The buildings, there was no electricity. There was no anything. And evidently... Um, I Jim told me about it, and if you didn't live there, you probably wouldn't have known about it because only people that were really close by even cared enough to know about it. But it was, uh, there was like a guy, there were homeless people and people that would just end up dead and burnt. Um, and they'd be found and they'd take him in their ambulances and they'd take him across the river to that place where all the no names are that they would mm. just kind of bury him. But um, 
basically there was some whack job who was, I don't know what he was, some military nut or something that was running around just hunting people back there. He'd see somebody, he'd get him in his scope, and he'd just shoot him, and he'd torch him with gasoline and burn him, and, you know, just a sadistic asshole. And that is the kind of thing that happened there. And, like, I didn't see anything. I didn't see the death. I mean, I could see people that were junkies that probably didn't last long, but you could smell it. Like, it was just, it was an insane place. It was just, it was a wasteland. I mean, it was like something out of a, an old science fiction book or something. It was mutants. But, and that was the absolute worst of it because that's what I was looking for. And I wanted to see it. And then I would just take the subways, which were completely littered with tons of graffiti and tons of gangsters and tons of, lots of thugs and lots of guardian angels back then. You know, and a lot of times you go, if you're in the Bronx and you want to go from Pelham Bay down to any place, into Manhattan or Brooklyn, anywhere you want to go, you'd have to cross in through some of the roughest areas. And so you would go in on the subways and see a guy with a red beret and say, okay, let's hang out in this car. Mm-hmm. And um, and they, they kept people in check a little bit. And then Giuliani came in there. And he said, fuck you. <laughs> he said, you off the street. You can't sleep there. You can't do that. Kick his ass. And he just ripped him apart and put it back together. And um, the only thing I can say is seeing that and being a part of that, that that's how bad it was. That's how shady those assholes were, is they needed a prick like that, mm-hmm. you know. And it's funny now I see the state of things and everybody freaking out and crying and whining about nothing and marching in the streets over shit that happened like fifty years ago. Living fifty years myself and actually seeing the very tail end of things that they're fussing over, which don't even exist hardly anymore. Right. And then I start to see Giuliani's and the people like that. I don't know if I admire them anymore just for their courage, you know, but then there was things like that that made me see otherwise. It was like, you know, you can see what happens when, when you just sort of go into a place like that and say, okay, well, these people are just unfortunate and they just need this and they need that and they need the basic necessities of life not taking into consideration that they're like oh yeah i need that in a car you know (laughs) like like what's that scene from west side story that song and dance that the jets the bad boys sing to their shrink and their police officer yeah Please forgive me. I don't know what I do. I'm just a poor, unfortunate soul. I had a bad mother and a bad bringing up, you know, and trying to get away with shit and mm-hmm. swinging their knives and uh, yeah, I know. I've I've seen too much, so yeah. So no, New York is interesting. It's an amazing. It's an amazing place. And what it is now, it wasn't 10 years ago. And before that, it was different again 10 years before that. And, like, it's gone 
three generations since this time that I'm talking about to you, mm -hmm. and it's not it's unrecognizable compared to what it was three times over. So, yeah, amazing actually, in a dark, twisted kind of yeah. fucked up way. <laughs> I've seen people die, man. Just yeah, crazy. Mm. So one other thing, like being up in Pelham Bay, the Italian neighborhood. Yeah, they were great actually. Um. So let's talk a little bit about like the block parties oh. and the food. Okay, so when I first got to New York, I'm sleeping in the bottom part of this building, and I wake up to sound, and I'm thinking, what am I, back in the Poconos? Am I dreaming? No, one guy down the road had a rooster. One guy. <laughs> and everybody talked about it. And I happened to land in the Bronx right next, right down the road from this. And everybody wanted to kill it. Because <laughs> these fucking Italians did not want to wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, one day I'm outside and what is that? Double Dutch. Is that what the girls played? Yeah. There's all the bad girls that had a... a, a, a a place, a, a juvenile, juvie kind of school for bad girls that was right across the street from where we lived. And they were fun, and we knew them, and we liked them enough, and we'd throw them frisbees and shit. And they came out and did amazing things with jump ropes. And I'm out there with these girls, watch, you know, with Jim watching these girls do all this stuff. And suddenly, oh yeah, and then I, I was so caught up and amazed by the turn of events in my life at the time, not being in New York that long, not knowing where the hell I was. I, 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 you know, the 4th of July came. It was a holiday, and I didn't even know it. And so suddenly all those big, crazy Italians, they says, come on over, come on over. Now the Italians at the time, I'm sorry to say, were rather bigoted, and uh, most of the girls were rather brown. And uh, they generally would not be, there was a fusion behind this side of town and that side of town. There was a, there was the, the, the Italian tough asses and, and whatnot. And then there was the ghetto down, down the road. But that school for naughty girls was kind of the crossover. They came mm -hmm. into that neighborhood. And I was like, well, that's interesting. That's kind of nice of them. They're going to invite them into this block party for, for the holiday. And um, that was the day I realized that it was the 4th of July and the 4th of July celebration was coming. And the first thing I remember was all these ladies coming over, inviting all the girls in and feeding them all kinds of crazy fried chickens and food off their grills. And I went with the guys I said, come on, Mike, we're going up the, the road to get some barracks or so we, we go up to the police station up the road and all these greasy fuckers grab those big horses that are right along the side of the building. Yeah. And one of the police officers come outside and they said, hey, what are you doing there with those? And suddenly this big greasy Italian guy with a tie, just like 
watching Goodfellas. He said, hey, fuck you, buddy. You work for me, motherfucker. Come down here and we'll give you some chicken and, and, and fuck you. And they all, <laughs> he just told the cops where to go. They grabbed all these horses and put them on their shoulders and they said, come on down. And then we blocked off the whole area. And suddenly I saw all of these kids coming up from the ghetto, so to speak. And I, there was some kind of weird truce that goes on between the ghetto and the Italian neighborhood. It's kind of like, we don't care who you are or what you do, but don't fuck with us kind of thing. And I, you know, but, and as an act of peace, every year during the 4th of July, all of these kids and people came up from downtown and were invited into this celebration and fed like, you know, just the, the big fat Italian ladies just throwing them food everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then the fireworks started. So there's all these people there from all over the place. They're all, and nobody's going to, these people fuck you up. You're not, you're not going right. to pull any shit, especially when they're all out there looking at you. Then the fireworks come and then everybody tries to outdo each other. And these fucking old guys that were sitting out there eating chicken and they have these card tables, flimsy card tables that they're playing cards in the middle of the streets with. They say, ah, I got one for you. And he pulls out this firework, which was the... What the hell was it? it was I don't know what the hell it was. It was, the, you know, it was, it was as tall as a stop sign. <laughs> the thing was huge. And he puts it, centers it on this table... And he lights it, and everybody backs off. And, Whoa! They go, and the fucking sky just goes, <laughs> turns to colors. Like these things are the biggest fireworks I've ever seen. And they're all laughing and going crazy, and they're shooting each other. And there's these things called chasers, and they're going <laughs> whizzing around. And they're going into people's houses. And the one lady goes into her house, and it rolls under her couch, and she's trying to put out the fire. Somebody went down the road, and they blew up the chicken. So the, the <laughs> M80s, some kids like whacked out the rooster. <laughs> that thing went up the fucking place was like vietnam it was like a war zone but like fun and people are eating and women are swearing and guys are shooting each other with roman candles i have never ever experienced anything like it in my life and it got to the point where you know you're just swearing and you grab a stick and you're whacking fireworks out of the air as they're coming by and you're putting your fire out when it lands on you and you're just laughing at each other and it just goes on and on and on and on. And then, it, it, like, 4.30 or 5 or something happens. And suddenly it just stops. <laughs> the last firecracker. And you just felt this home, this feeling come over. you like, what the fuck just happened here? You know, and the whole place is just destroyed and everybody's just walking in their houses and they're cleaning up. And I, I'm just so shocked by it. I just sit there in silence and there's a few people and all these people come out and they're sweeping the paper from all the fireworks and shit off of the sidewalks right onto the street. And then these big machines come by with the big rolling brushes and water and they mm -hmm. literally wash this stuff and you couldn't step anywhere close to the street. Like, <laughs> there was no street there. It was like, it was just all paper from the fireworks. And all whooshed into the... That was absolutely the most amazing uh, 4th of July celebration I ever hoped to experience. I can't imagine that happening again. 
not today. It was part of the chaos of what New York was. Mm -hmm. I mean, you were not going to tell any of these guys what to do. It was they did what they wanted to do. And if they wanted to blow up the place, they did. You know, and, and they did. They just, yeah. It's like 10 times the biggest firework place I've ever seen. You couldn't, and it was right in between the buildings, you know. We'd go up and the sky would turn colored. You couldn't see. It would spread out over the city further than you could see because you're under buildings. Mm. So, uh, yeah. All I can say is, you know, heads up to... Those crazy Italians of Pelham Bay, last stop on the sixth train, amazing, amazing place. And I left there, you know, a different person for sure. And mm. I still crave it. I got my buddy Nick DeSanto who invites me over for dinner sometimes and we drink weird Italian liquor made out of avocados. It's like green alcohol and she mm. feeds you pasta. And I just, I just, I crave that world now so that that was my world when I lived there I, you know it wasn't and I was just a kid wanting to make music and rock out and stuff and and where I went it wasn't artistic it was just a, an Italian neighborhood <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah but this it's that is dead there's mm, no it's dead yeah yeah they they've They've gentrified and yuppified and pussified and whatever you want to call every kind of thing you could possibly think of uh, of, of New York. And that's what I'm saying. I think that's why they're having a lot of trouble now is, um, I don't know, maybe California is a different game. But when you have a place like New York, three quarters of the economy of the world rips through this thing every day, mm -hmm. you, you, you need... A tight ship you need somebody to <laughs> come in and, and crack the whip and kick some ass kind of and i've seen that yeah so that's it that's the, that's that time period you know what i mean i was living there purple rain came out and that's how i can remember the time period you know and and giuliani wasn't there and by the time i left he was there and by the time i left there was no graffiti on the trains <laughs> right. you know and people are just walking around kind of enjoying their day but yeah the thugs didn't have much fun they couldn't you know get yeah. away with nearly yeah. as much but so you know it got it gave me everything i wanted for good and bad at that time gotcha it just grabbed the little bastard by the scruff and said, here you go, you want hell, motherfucker, and just threw you in there and then kind of demonstrated that you only want to go so far with this, you know. <laughs> yeah, and somehow I always did stay away from, like, hard drugs. And and then one day I moved back to, to, to PA, and there was one guy who I remember... He was a Sal or a, or a Chad or okay. All I remember is that he was kind of like a, a a screwball in that neighborhood. He was some uh, Italian guy kid who would run around in a pink town car, you know, with the the leopard print seats and shit. And all of his cousins and shit would be like, "What the fuck, you an idiot?" You know, but you know, and he was kind of an idiot. And one day. Jim was hanging out with him 
and happened to be driving through our area of the Poconos, where I'm living now. Mm-hmm. And Jim calls back and he says, do you know someplace where I could dump off some cocaine? I got Sal here, whatever. I can't remember his cell. He said, anyway. And I said, well, okay, we have the bar down the road. It was Presto's Bar where every shady thing happened. <laughs> so this asshole came in. A giant pink limousine. Couldn't, not joking at all. And it pulls up right alongside this old bar in hillbilly effort. And he just deals it right out the window. Like, <laughs> it's like somebody goes in there and they say, hey, anybody want cocaine? And then they came out and just stood in line and he just sat there dealing it. <laughs> One bag out of the other outside of this pink limousine with its New York plates screaming, you know, luckily you're so so much in bumfuck, the cops just didn't happen to come by. And I'm just sitting in there sweating like, holy Christ, how am I going to get out of this one? And I'm sitting in this car. So it followed, followed me back a little bit. But hmm. I, I don't know, he, he also was about the dumbest fuck on the block too, so. Wow. Yep, that was, that was interesting. And you said the car was pink? Pink. That's funny. It was pink. Not bright pink, but it was pink. It was a right. pink town car. You know, like, like, you know. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't remember those, you know, those guys were a little classy. They didn't go for that sort of thing. He was the one. Right. That sort of, you know. But I can just imagine that a pink town car with New York plates. Just. Cruising through effort. Cruising through effort and parking. Places. Right there. Just stealing cocaine out the window. Yeah, so. Yeah, that was that was that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Planet Shivers. Thirty. I made it to thirty. You could find this episode and all twenty-nine others on all major podcast platforms and YouTube. You could check out my personal work on Instagram at Albert Shivers or on Facebook at Albert Shivers Visual Artist. Don't forget, the links are below to Mike's toy company, Wrong Kong, and a link to the Blister Sisters so you could see all those crazy stories for yourself. Thanks so much again for listening to this episode and for listening to all the episodes that came before. Thanks to all the guests from 1 to 30. And thanks to Isaac for helping me out. You can check out his work on Instagram at when underscore in underscore zen. When in zen with them underscores in between. Next week, it's going to be another good one. I hope everybody stays safe, stays healthy, and most of all, keeps their wits about them don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast on youtube spotify google play apple podcasts the podcast app and itunes that's all the places you could find this episode which you already found but also all the episodes that came before hope you enjoyed it see you next week